Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When God had created the world and put our first parents into the Garden of Eden, everything was very good. In that place, mankind had everything that they, the two of them, needed for the fulfillment of their nature. They were created in perfect righteousness, in the image of God. They had food in abundance and shelter. They had fulfilling labor in working in the garden. They each had a companion and a helper fit for them in each other. They had the perfect worship of God to be in his presence and to obey his law, which he had given them. All of this God gave to them as a gift that they might accomplish his will through continuing to cultivate the garden until it spread out from between the rivers to cover all of the earth and to fill the world with their descendants who would live in harmony with God and with one another. This was very good indeed. But as we know, that did not come about. For as the book in the Apocrypha Wisdom summarizes wonderfully, God created man to be immortal and made him in the image of his own eternity. Nevertheless, through envy, the devil, through, nevertheless, through the envy of the devil, death came into the world. The devil, created as an angel of light, a good creature of God, had at one point, when creation was finished, rebelled and took with him a large number of the angels of God. He had been created to enjoy and live in God's presence, serving him, but he was not content and so fell into sin. Having the judgment of hell loom over him, he came down to earth seeking to bring mankind down with him. And so begins the temptation of our first parents, as we find in our prophecy. And so we look to this, and as we look at this account, we see that the devil and his evil angels continue to tempt us in much the same ways as he first tempted Adam and Eve. First, we see his craftiness and his cunning. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We know this serpent was not any serpent, but rather a serpent possessed by the devil, for a number of reasons. First, when Adam was set to look for a helper fit for him, he found none. Surely, if serpents could normally talk, then that would be a, a fit helper for him in the work that he had to do. In addition, the scriptures themselves declare this. The book of Reve Revelation calls the devil that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So also Christ our Lord makes this identification when he says that it was the devil that brought death to Adam and Eve. It was the devil who murdered them, saying in John chapter 8, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so with craftiness, 
The devil chooses to possess a serpent when he tempts our first parents. He appears to them not as an angel of light, as he could have, but as a lowly creature, as one of those creatures that Adam and Eve have dominion over. He comes to them in false humility. He permits himself to be presented to them as weak, as a lower animal, so that they might not take him seriously, but instead let their guard down. And let it down, they did. For rather than seeing something amiss right away, they allow the devil to continue speaking to them. We too must be on our guard against the devil's temptations, for he is in truth like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is like an archer hurling towards us flaming darts. Let us not be deceived when temptations come to us looking innocent, good, or as if they're no big deal. Rather, let us resist him firm in the faith. For after appearing to Eve in, as a weak and lowly serpent, he says to her, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day of you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. After this first approach, he attempts to instill doubt in Eve. Has God really said? The devil knew well that God did not say you shall not eat of every fruit of the tree of the garden, but he asked his question in this way to make God seem ridiculous, to get our first parents to doubt God's good and gracious will. God had given them all of the trees to eat of, save one. He provided richly for them that they might always be fed and cared for. But the devil comes to Eve and says, Has God really said? If he really cared, why would he forbid anything to you? If he really loved you, why would he say, don't do this? He seeks to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's word and command and to doubt God himself. For if they begin to doubt him, then they no longer trust in him completely, and they may be twisted and turned against him. So now, just as then, the devil tries to bring us into doubting God and his word, trying to drive a wedge in between us and God to lure us away into sin from God. But the devil does not end here when Eve responds with an exaggerated command, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. We see that doubt had begun to take hold of Eve. She overstates her answer, hoping to erase and cover all doubt, but the devil uses this to drive that home further, to bring about unbelief, untrust, if you will. And he says, you will not surely die. For God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the serpent strikes after luring his prey. Since they already doubted God's goodness towards them, the devil says that God didn't forbid the tree out of love, but out of envy. He says that if they ate of it, 
they would become just like God. God doesn't want that for them. The devil says, God is keeping you away from it to keep you weak and lowly rather than enjoying the things he does. Once unbelief is added to doubt, this pride is sprinkled in on top so that they might think that by fully rebelling against God, they would be like him. Surely the devil is the father of lies. And here we see his skill in it, taking a lie and covering it with a veneer of truth. Yes, it's true that God knows good and evil. He is the supreme good. He knows that everything that is not of himself is evil. And the devil is right in a way that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, they would know good and evil. But they would not know good and evil as God knows them. Rather, they would know good and evil through experiencing evil, through participating in evil. This will result in their death despite the devil's lies, and their eyes will be opened to this fact and to the horrible consequences of it once they eat of it. So, too, today, the devil seeks to tempt us in the same way, through instilling doubt, through stoking unbelief, and through holding before us the glory and pleasures that come from pride. Even when the devil tempts our Lord Jesus, he does the same thing, attempting to get Jesus, first of all, to doubt God's provision and care, turning, asking him to turn stones to bread, twisting the passages of Scripture that speak of God's protection and guidance in ways that stitch verses together but remove the important context within them so that what we spoke in our gradual, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. By removing that to keep you in all your ways, the devil turns this from God caring about you and protecting you and keeping you in his way and in your life to Test God by jumping off this roof, and surely his angels will catch you. After all, they will bear you up. He puts before our Lord the glories of all the earthly kingdoms, trying to incite pride, asking him to worship him in, in order to get these. In these ways, he tempted Adam and Eve. In these ways, he tempted our Lord. And in these ways, he tempts us. So let us be constant in prayer and in times of temptation, not be like our first parents, and, but instead run to our Lord. For now we come to our first parents' final error. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. They should not have gotten to this place. They should have, at the first, rebuked Satan, resisted him, and turned instead away. But rather, they were drawn into argument with him. But then, after this began, they should have refused to entertain what he was saying. They thought of what the devil said. They considered it. They entertained it in their mind that maybe God was trying to keep better things from them. And this allowed them to continue contemplating this, and it stoked the desire further 
when they went to the tree and looked at it. They kept going further and further down this path as they entertained the temptation of the devil and the desires that it elicited. So it is that St. James writes, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So it was for them, so it is for us. After they ate, their eyes were opened, and they were now ashamed of themselves, ashamed of their sin and of their guilt, and they sought to hide themselves from one another. So it was, they did indeed die. They died first spiritually by turning away from God. The image of God, the perfect righteousness and holiness they possessed, was marred and destroyed in that way so that instead of original righteousness, they held within them original sin. And that day, their bodies also began to physically die. They no longer had perfect health. If they had remained free of sin, childbirth would have been no problem at all for Eve. But now childbirth would be painful. Labor in the field would no longer be joyous and only for building oneself up, but it would be difficult and laborious their bodies would wear down and break and they would die how far they fell and not only them but all creation as well the earth would produce thorns and thistles violent storms would rain and even now creation waits for the revealing of the sons of god as saint paul writes because creation was subjected to futility and while Adam and Eve brought this upon themselves and their descendants by their sin and rebellion against God, God did not desire for them to remain in this state. For God does not desire the death of the wicked, but rather that he turn from his evil way and live. So it is that God calls out to Adam and Eve, asking where they are, knowing where they are, knowing what happened, but he gently leads them to confess their sins gently leads them to repent. But instead of doing this, they turn to blame and excuses. But even in the midst of Adam and Eve blaming one another and the serpent, even in the midst of their making excuses for why they ate of the tree, God gives them the proto-evangelium, the first gospel, through the curse on the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. First, the serpent is cursed, for it was used as Satan's instrument. It, it will crawl on its belly, and it will lap up dust as it moves. Yet, this also reflects upon the devil as he is looked down on by all, an object of scorn and contempt because of what he has done. And now, we also have the glorious promise of the defeat of the devil. Notice how God is no longer simply talking about serpents, but talking to the devil. I will put enmity between you, singular, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, 
he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The devil who overcame mankind through his tempting of the woman would himself be overcome by one who is the seed of the woman alone. Eve's descendants fell into sin because she doubted God and his word. But here the Lord God promises that one of her daughters would not doubt but believe, saying, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. From her would be born the seed of the woman, the one who has no earthly father, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who took on flesh in time in his birth of the Virgin Mary. The woman knew acutely the effects of sin through the pain of childbirth, but through the birth of this holy child we see the beginning of the end of the curse. The first man, Adam, was born of virgin soil that had never been tilled. The new man, Jesus, is born of the virgin's womb. Adam sold his progeny into slavery, to sin and death through his fall and his failure to overcome the temptations of the devil. But the promised seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, has overcome the devil's temptations and frees all who trust in him from slavery to sin. As he himself says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is the head of a new humanity, the redeemed humanity. He is the head of all who have been born again through the waters of baptism, through the washing of regeneration, so that all who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ, and so cling to him by faith and receive the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has more than bruised, but he has crushed the head of the serpent. He has trampled on the lion and the adder. He has put the young lion and the serpent underfoot. Even as the devil attacks his heel, he has destroyed him. For not only did he overcome the devil's temptations, he has destroyed death, which is both the sting of sin and the power of the devil. He has achieved the destruction of Satan's power, the defeat of death, and our redemption in one fell swoop as he made atonement for our sins on the cross. He paid the price for the sin of the world, though he himself was free from sin. All this he does vicariously, that is, in our place, so that all who trust in him receive the forgiveness of sins and freedom from death and the power of the devil. While the devil once overcame by the tree of the garden, Christ has overcome the devil by the tree of the cross. While the fruit of the tree of the garden brought death to Adam and his descendants, the fruits of the tree of the cross are the forgiveness of sins, life everlasting and salvation for all who believe. May God grant that we remain steadfast in the face of temptation, so that we may always resist the devil. But when we fall because of the weakness of our flesh, may God again bring us to repentance and faith in him, so that we might receive forgiveness for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has defeated the ancient foe and who freely grants us the forgiveness of sins and salvation through faith in him. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.